Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Okay, well, I want to thank you for the opportunity to share what's on my heart. Um, I'm going to preface that with a little self-disclosure here because I'm a pretty good example of some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. Um, I'm notorious, at least with my very patient husband, for projects. That's exactly right. I like to think about projects. I like to start them. I just, oh, let's get this project going. And it's like, now, honey, don't say no yet. Just listen to what I have to say, right? Sometimes they work and sometimes they're not so great. But um, one of my projects that was uh, probably not the smartest thing I did was my husband and uh, our two daughters, went, they went to the Sun Valley area to spend some time with his, his brothers up there. And I couldn't go because we had a dog that didn't like people, so I had to stay home. And I think I was pouting a little bit, and I thought, well, what can I do that will be fun? I have a great idea. I got four days. I'm going to remodel the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do, you know. I've played with wood before. I kind of have a clue here, right? I know what to do. I can put a toilet in. And, and so I worked really hard, and I, I called uh, Grandpa Jim a little bit and said, little issue here, but had a little tiny help there, but I'm going to do this done by the time that they get home. And well, when they got home and saw the toilet out on the front yard, <laughs> he kind of knew <laughs> something was up because I didn't tell her beforehand. I'm not stupid. I just, you know, don't mintate very well sometimes. So uh, no, it wasn't done. And I did not win wife of the year award, but uh, it's done now and it looks much better. And I'm glad we did it, but I couldn't do it alone. And I wasn't going to stop, but I just couldn't do it. It was too hard. I underestimated how much time it took. I underestimated, and it wasn't the skill level so much, but I just underestimated everything about it. And, uh, yeah, that wasn't a great one. The other one was uh, we have baseboards. Well, our puppy's chewing them, so we had baseboards. But we put all new baseboards in our house, and, and I was going to paint them. This is, you know, one day, right? One day to paint living room baseboards. That's all. And I was bored before I opened the can. I, I just didn't even open the can. I just opened it and I'm done. I couldn't finish the project. It was too boring for me. Painting is not in my bucket list. <laughs> that was a little joke. Uh-huh. Okay, but there's other things I'd rather do. Uh, more projects we could do. And then we had this tent trailer that uh, we don't have anymore. Water got into the roof. And we got home one time after our a recent... T- trip to the coast, and the door fell off. Oops, it's not supposed to fall off. So Ross kind of looked up there, and the wood had disintegrated. I mean, it's like one grade. This wood is one grade above balsa wood, right? I don't know who thought that was a good idea, but it was just toast. And I was like, oh, that's okay, because we can remodel the tent trailer, honey, and, and we can look on YouTube and Google, and we can learn all these things and do it ourselves. And come on, honey, we can do this, you know. <laughs> He's so patient with me. <laughs> but um, so we tore it all apart, and I took tons and tons of pictures. And then when my phone died this last January, the pictures were gone, but the trailer just sat there. And it's like, you know, I finally acquiesced and agreed and said, it's way too much work. Too much work, too much time, too much stress, too much money. Sometimes projects you have to give up on. 
but I love making, doing projects. I love thinking of things. And it's like, ooh, give me something to figure out. Let's see how it can work. Um, it's kind of fun. But a lot of us do that. We get involved with a project and we just give up on it sometimes. And sometimes we're bored. We get bored with them, right? Sometimes we kind of lose our love for the whole project. It's like, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> I don't like that. We underestimate how difficult they can be sometimes. We don't think we can do it alone. It's like, I was doing pretty good on the bathroom, but I really needed somebody. <laughs> um, sometimes we're just too busy. It's like, I don't see the payoff in doing this, and the cost is too high, and we can live with it just like it is. I just don't want to do it. And sometimes another project will catch my eye. <laughs> Ooh, there goes a rabbit, right? I'm off down the other trail. And sometimes stopping kind of makes sense. Sometimes we get involved in a project maybe we shouldn't, like the tin trailer. And this happens in every area of our lives. It happens in our jobs, our careers. It happens in home projects. Unfortunately, sometimes it happens in relationships and in marriages. And more importantly, and very sadly, it happens in our spiritual life where our project, which is to stay focused and to stay in the race, we just stop. Paul understood the importance of not giving up. Absolutely he did. When he was imprisoned and he knew he was getting ready to be put to death, he had a message that he wanted to give Timothy. And it wasn't, run! It wasn't, Leave this place. Get away from here. Go where you're going to be safe. That was not Timothy's message. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8 says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. God, I pray that your word will go today out to each one of us and land in our hearts, God, and encourage us to stay in your race. Paul understood there would be people who would leave the race. I, he knows this. He, he's talking to Timothy about finishing that race and staying the course and hanging in there until he's reached that goal. We're going to look at a few different things here. What does it look like to lose our focus? What is the danger of losing our focus? And what does the Bible tell us about that? Yeah, there's three points there right there for you guys. Three W's, in case you're taking notes. But what does it look like when someone loses their focus in the race? Well, we've got some examples in Scripture. We could raise hands and say, ooh, here's an example. But Ab and Eve lost their focus, right? I, they had it made in the shade, right? They had this relationship with God. They were focused. They, they just back and forth. And he said, you know, I like this. This is good. But, okay, over there, don't touch that. Don't go over there, right? Just stay focused on me. And they're like, yes, we love you, God. We just love this relationship. You're so, wow, love. Eve, what are you doing? Right? <laughs> oh, well. And took their eyes off the prize and was distracted by what was on the periphery. And, and they, they stepped 
away because they lost their focus. And they lost, they had to leave the, the, uh, the garden. They had to leave the Garden of Eden. The temptation was just too much for them. They just, they were so, they had this amazing relationship. I can't imagine what that would be like. Could you imagine what that was like? I mean, just having, all you had was that relationship with God. You had no worries about bills. You had no worries about what you're going to cook for dinner, folding the laundry, fixing the tent trailer. None of those worries existed. One little thing, boing, took their eyes off the prize. And Jonah didn't want to trust God, didn't want to believe God, or didn't want to do what God said because he did not want God to save the Ninevites because he didn't like them very much. He said, I'm out of here. And we know what happened, right? Got in a boat, big storm over the, over the water, in the fish, thrown up on the shore. Finally said, fine, I'll tell them. Told them, sat down under this little shade tree or whatever, plant of some sort with shade to see what was happening. And I woke up the next day and the sun had scorched it dead and he was mad. He said, see God, I knew you were going to save them. I knew you weren't going to destroy them. And that's why I didn't want to go. He took his eyes off the prize, which was obeying God and following God and doing God's will. He said, just let me die, he said. He had his eyes off the prize and he had his eyes on what he wanted. And Moses, he didn't get it into the promised land because Believe it or not, this man took his eyes off the prize for a moment. A couple times. So, you know, God, he was, they were thirsty. They, were, they needed water. And, and God said, okay, there's a rock. You speak to that rock and water will come out. And he's like, I'll speak to the rock with a stick. Right? And God said, why did you not have faith in me? He took his eyes off the prize. And in his own anger, in his own, I can just do it, right? I parted the I parted the Red Sea. I can get the water out of the rock. But he took his eyes off God and had his eyes on himself and how he was feeling and did it his way. See, losing our focus doesn't always mean that we completely turn around and leave God. But there's a danger. Israel many times left the race. We can't even enumerate all the times that Israel came to God and they loved God and they served God and worshiped God. And then it's like, oh, idols, cool, right? <laughs> Israel's just left the race a lot. And in the New Testament, Peter had a problem. I love you, Jesus. I love your son. I don't know him. What are you talking about? Right? He said, no, I don't know you. His eyes off Jesus. His eyes are on what? Fear. What are they going to do to me if they, I say I know him? That fear may be in some of us sometime. Judas, he didn't just you know, get his eyes a little unfocused, but he just said, I am off this treadmill. There's the one you want. And for 30 pieces of silver, I don't know what that was worth back then. Don't have a clue. So I'm sure somebody does, but I don't. But um, he, he just, he, he's, what's it called when you not narc, but you tell on somebody, you, he turned him over. He, he pulled a Judas on him, right? He, he betrayed, that's the word we're looking for. He betrayed Jesus for money. He had his eyes off the prize and on what he wanted in life. What does this look like though today in our lives when we lose our focus on Jesus? When we take our eyes off the prize, what does it look like with us? Sometimes when this happens, people will leave the church. 
They may leave slowly. They just may leave completely. Or they may stay here. But emotionally, they've left, right? And they don't really talk about the love of God. They might talk about theology. I can still talk about theology because that's not terribly personal. Well, they don't really want to talk about the love of Jesus and their relationship with him anymore. And they pull away from their believing families and friends you may not see anymore because there's a little bit of guilt feelings happening there. And their lives change, and usually not for the better. Proverbs 26, 11, I love this verse, says that a person who repeats his folly is like a dog returning to its vomit. And that's what happens when we take our eyes off the prize. You know, we're going back to that thing that we just said, whoa, no more. Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin, right? I didn't sing it. Aren't you glad? But I'm free from that sin. But my eyes are off the prize because something caught my eye and I'm returning to it. What are those people, do they have when they leave the race? Do they, do they have that, um, that deep abiding joy anymore? Do they, do they, does the quality of their life improve? Usually not. What causes us to leave the race? Kind of like the project, sometimes we don't put into it. If you don't put into something, you don't really feel that connected to it. You know, if you don't talk to your, your friend or your spouse or your parent or whatever, your children, pretty soon that relationship starts to kind of like wane a little bit, right? You have to tend, you have to tend a garden in order for it to grow. And you have to tend the garden to take the weeds out. You have to tend relationships. And we have to tend our spiritual life. If we ignore Jesus, if we don't, if we're just walking every day and we go to church on Wednesdays and church on Sundays, that's just not enough. We have to tend our spiritual lives so that we nourish it, so that it becomes nourished. And so those weeds are taken out. We have to take care of that. But so we, we don't, don't put the effort into it and we get bored because it's really boring if you're not invested in something. And sometimes the heartaches and the disappointments of life seem too heavy to bear, especially by yourself. Life can, life can be really hard and has a way of taking us to the breaking point sometimes, just taking us to that point where, like poor Jonah, not Jonah, sorry, wrong. Yes, Jonah. Um, you know, I just want to die, right? Sometimes it takes us there where we just want to just, okay, Jesus, you can come tonight. That's fine with me. It can take us to the breaking point and that one more thing can just be too much. Sometimes it's the loss of job. It's the loss of health, loss of a loved one, a relationship, being a single parent, being alone, the death of dreams. These things can cause us to feel weak and take our eyes off the prize and be distracted by all these things in life that want to pull us away from him. Sometimes the cost is too high. Well, if I take a stand for Christ, I'm going to be ridiculed. I can't do that. I'm going to be canceled nowadays. They're going to close my Facebook account if I say something about Jesus, right? I'm going to go to Facebook jail. Or I don't want to give up my habits. I kind of really like that. And I, you know, I can still be a Christian and do that and, and dabble in this or dabble in that. And, you know, I can, I can still keep my eyes focused and look over here a little bit, right? 
I miss out on what life has to offer. But all those things on the periphery of this track that we're on just want to grab your attention. Now, there's things out there, obviously, there's things in life that we have to tend to, right? I mean, we have to work. We have to pay the bill. We have to cook the food. We have to do all those things. Those just happen, right? It's not like God has a problem with us taking a vacation. At least I hope not, because I'm going to the Oregon coast in September. But, yes, see, verily, or having a dependable automobile, but it doesn't mean that we have to go find the biggest and the best and the nicest so everybody can see us, right? Where's our priority in even these everyday things? Satan will use these things on the periphery to grab our attention. It's like, oh, I need a new car. Oh, maybe I'll just get a little bigger one. And we start focusing on things that aren't important, aren't important to us or to the race that we're in. Galatians 5, 7, I really like this because I like to read it with an attitude because I like to think it was written with attitude. Yep. It says, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. I like that. You are running the race. Who are you going to blame this on? There is no one to blame it on because God didn't tempt you away from it. The Bible tells us that let no man say he's being tempted by God. If your eyes are distracted, if you're looking off to the periphery saying, oh, I just want to go over here a little. I'm trying to stay in one place, and it's really hard, by the way, because I tend to anyways, stay right here. Uh, anyway, let no man say he's being tempted by God, because God's not going to tempt us. These bad things happen. We're tempted by all this stuff. We might be tempted by 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 relationships, by, by, um, by money, by whatever, you know, just, but we're tempted. No one, and not only tempted, but tormented, right? Sometimes those bad things, it's not just the, ooh, I want this good thing, or I want that good thing, good in my, their mind, but, but it's like, I'm just so tired. I've been through so much, I can't go on. And Satan will use that and make you think that you cannot do it. And it's a not true. You can. None of us have a free pass to escape the bad stuff in life. But like Joseph told his brothers after the father died. Have you already preached that one? Oh, sorry. Well, anyway. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Joseph told his brothers. You can change it up however you want. Um, <laughs> how he told his brothers after the father died and they're like groveling, you know, oh, we're so sorry. You know, they, oh, it's, it's him, it's Joseph, you know. Oops, face palm, right? But they were groveling and he said, eh, what you intended for evil in my life, what you meant to cause me harm, to bring evil and bad into my life, God intended it for good. He intended for did. James 1, 2, James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Makes it sound like we actually have to go through some stuff so that we grow and become complete. 
So consider it joy. So what is the danger of us losing our focus, if only for a short time? I mean, is anybody here perfect? Yeah, no, okay. We do lose our focus at times, don't we? It's like, okay, I'm back on, you know? Oops, I'm back on. It's like, you know, something happens in the car, it's like, oh, whoops, I better watch where I'm going, right? We're back on the track. But in Revelation, oh, we're not going to go deep in it because I can't for one thing. But um, God had a word for seven churches there in Revelation. And um, two of the churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, he said, he gave them basically attaboys, you know, you guys are doing great, hang in there, you're going to be persecuted, but don't give up, stay in the race, keep focus, go, 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 right? He's encouraging them. And five of the churches, not so much. So, uh, Ephesus, right? We all know the book of Ephesians, that church there. He said, I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know what you've done. You do all this amazing, wonderful stuff. You don't tolerate wicked people. You're, you're really great about like getting people that want to lead you astray just out of your church. But all this stuff that you do that's right, you've forgot the love you had for God. You forgot your first love that love that you had when you first came to Jesus, you forgot about that. And he's told him, repent, or I'm going to remove the lampstand, which the lampstand that, that, that signifies like the presence of Jesus. It's like, mm-mm, you need to have love. I mean, First Corinthians tells us that you can have all these things. You can speak in tongues. You can, you can prophesy. You can do all these things. You can rebuild tent trailers. But if you don't have love, You've gained nothing. You've gained nothing. And that's where, that's where many of them were. Pergamum, which it just sounds like a medicine. I don't know. Um, right? They needed to repent of their sin. Um, so some of them were following Christ. They were doing what they were supposed to do. But a lot of them were wanting to stay in the ways that they were before they came to Christ. You know, like, oh, let's just keep a little bit of this teaching and a little bit of that teaching and, and um, oh, let's follow the Nicolaitans because here, they, had, they had a real easy theology. It was like, sin all you want, God's grace covers everything. Yeah, <laughs> that's not terribly scriptural, right? <laughs> but uh, God wasn't too fond of that one. And he said, repent. Repent or I will fight you with my words. And what does the Bible say about the word of God? Lives and strong, sharper than a two-edged sword. I mean, it's like, okay, I don't want him fighting me with his two-edged sword. Thank you. And he told me to repent or he'd fight them. Fire Tyra. Okay. I have a special connection with Fire Tyra in Bible camp. And I, I was kind of hoping your parents would be here because they might remember this from camp. I'm not really sure. Um, I'm sure they're much older than me, but we, no. But, uh, <laughs> I'm sure they're not, but uh, so at camp this one year, uh, well, we called him Doily, Pastor Doyle folks, who was our superintendent, I, so I've known him since he was, you know, whatever, anyway, uh, he was our DCAP, which was the youth uh, leader for the whole district, right? Uh, he named our, t- our teams at camp the Churches in Revelation, which at that age, I was kind of clueless, I, I was in Thyatira, and I thought, Oh, that rocks, right? That was so cool. I'm part of Thyatira. 
but they had severe warnings for Thyatira. He <laughs> said, not all of them were doing this, but some of them were following a false prophetess who was leading people astray, sexual immorality, all sorts of horrible, awful stuff. That was a great team to be on, right? But anyway, so Thyatira had some severe warnings. Sardis, this is a fun one though. Sardis, he said, you're asleep. You are asleep, you need to wake up. Bring back to life that which is just dying inside of you. Have you ever gone camping and your campfire is dying and it's like you're out of matches, you're out of killing, you're out of everything. It's like just trying to flame some life back into that campfire, right? Yeah, that's another thing he does. He does the fires. <laughs> he does the hard stuff. <laughs> but, uh, but he said, bring that back to life. You're asleep and I am going to come like a thief in the night. Those of you that are over 50 might remember the movie from the 70s, Thief in the Night. Scares all to Jesus, right? <laughs> but he's going to come when we don't expect him. And it's like we're sleeping and we're not really paying attention to the signs of the times or what's going on. And then Laodicea, the last one, this one a little confusing for some people, but it says, I have this against you. You're not hot or cold. You're lukewarm. I always thought that hot meant I was for Jesus, cold meant I was for the devil, and lukewarm meant what, right? And it was confusing, but I get it now. It just means like, it's like when you drink warm water, kind of makes you kind of nauseated, right? And, and so back then, if they offered lukewarm wine to a guest, it was not really nice. And it was kind of nauseating. And, and people would, it was only good for spitting out. It was not good. Like, serve me something hot, serve me something cold. Do not serve me lukewarm. And he's saying, yeah, you're lukewarm. And I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you nauseate me. Doesn't sound very scriptural, but anyway, it's okay. It works, right? Right. So God loved these churches, right? He loved these churches, otherwise He wouldn't warn them, right? But some of the people had taken their focus off of God and out of the out of the race, and He was going to bring judgment on them. Now the danger for us when we move our, our focus onto Jesus, onto other things, we go off track. What happens when you're driving down a road? And I know this happens. Uh, because, yeah, I know what happens. Driving down the road, you see a wreck, and your eyes go over to the wreck. Guess what happens frequently, believe it or not? Crash! They just add to the wreck, because where your eyes go, your body frequently follows. I was never a gymnast, but I read, probably on Google, right, that gymnasts are taught to put their eyes where they want to land. Oh, don't do that, you'll get a little dizzy, but you know, you, you don't want to look over here if you're doing a backflip, right? You want your eyes to go where you want your body to follow. And that's why we have to keep our eyes on Christ because our body follows. When Eve like looked over here and it's like, ooh, apples. You know, at first I was thinking, oh, I'm, I'm gonna use the, I'm gonna say that they were like, um, oh, I forgot those little green vegetables. They're nasty. Doesn't matter, anyway. But I thought, so I really don't want Brussels sprouts. <laughs> but Brussels sprouts would not be tempting to me, so we'll just call them apples. But it's, it's like she just took her eyes off. And it's like, oh. And then her body followed, and, and she left. She left. She stepped out of the race. And uh, blinders on a horse, you know, you know what those are for? They're to keep the horse from seeing the hay, from seeing the pretty river, from seeing the other horses, from seeing the train or the traffic or whatever. It's to keep the horse focused on where he's supposed to go. Because if he takes his eyes off that, his head could go that way. And when we take our eyes off Jesus, 
we can go that way as well. Does one small slip, one small slip by someone who's got like an addiction can absolutely derail them, right? One innocent flirtation, one accidental mistake on your taxes, right? All those little tiny things that seem so harmless, but then that one little mistake adds to another, adds to another. And pretty soon, pretty soon you've lost, you've not just lost your focus, but you've just left the race. And what happens if we don't get back up? You guys don't know if you remember that song. I I'm not, don't remember it much, but somebody was talking to another person and says, well, uh, I think he was talking to a monk, and he said, well, what happens when you fall down? What happens when you make mistakes? And he said, we fall down, but we get up. And when we realize that we've left the race, or we've taken our eyes off of Jesus, off the goal, off the prize, or we fall down, get back up. Don't stop. Don't walk away from the race. Do not give up. Do not give in. The danger in losing focus is that we will leave the race and we will not finish it. So what does God's word say to us about this? He is faithful and he is enough. He will never leave us. With God, all things are possible. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And Paul said, and I love this, there's a lot of things. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nobody can pull us from our goal. Nobody can make us leave the race. That is why we have to stay so focused Philippians 1, 1, 6 says, I am sure of this. He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Jesus. He started this work. He's not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to leave you. The word, of, the word tells us that we need to stay in the race. If sin has caused a separation, when we've been led astray or we're bored looking for something new, or when... The fabric of our faith has been just decimated by the trials and the heartache that we are going through. We can't give up. Wake up. Wake up. We don't know when he's going to come. We have to wake up and fan back to life that thing that has died because we haven't tended the fire. We haven't kept feeding the fire. We haven't fed our spirit, our soul. We haven't nourished. We haven't stayed in contact with the one who gives us life. Wake back up. Wake up. He could come any day. And we hear this. We've heard this so many times, right? He could come any day. I think he's going to come this year. You could, yeah. So many times in my life, I've heard people say, oh yeah, well I can tell by these scriptures and that scripture that he's going to come on May 13th of 2018, right? You know, we, we hear this all the time, but it, it, the Bible says nobody, nobody knows when it's going to happen, right? So just forget how numb you've become to those words that he could come anytime. Because I think we get a little numb to it. It's like, 
Yeah, we hear that all the time. <laughs> we do. But think about this. What about those people? That's it. Were you sure they had a, I've got at least a year. You know, I've got all my life. I've got a year. I've got a month. I've got a week. But nobody, nobody ever says, I don't think I'm going to make it home today. I don't think I'm going to have one last chance to tell my family I love them. I don't think I'm going to have one last chance to tell God I'm sorry and to just forgive me my sins. Nobody thinks that. that. Like, nah, I've got all the time in the world. I tell you what, working at, at the hospital, not a nurse, if you're going to ask, I'm not a nurse, no. Um, working at a hospital has disavowed me or has taken away that idea in my head because I see people that come in, young people, they don't go home. You know, I see people come in. We just had somebody come in again. It happens all the time. So, I mean, so these instances are just ones I've heard of. In 20s, cancer diagnosis. As far as you can take it, stage whatever, four. Just devastating things happen to people. There's no time and we have to wake up. We have to repent. We have to return to love. What was it like when you first came to know Christ? Probably a lot of you are like me and you were raised in the church, right? <laughs> and it's like, I mean, I didn't do things that were right all the time. Of course I didn't. But I grew up believing in Jesus. But a lot of you may have come through struggles and trials to kneel at his feet saying, God, just help me please take me out of this place. And what did that feel like when you're able to take those burdens and lay them down and they were gone and you were free? Do you remember what that felt like? Do you remember falling in love with Jesus thinking, I can't believe he did this for me. And we had to get back to that place where we say, I can't believe he did that for me and go back to that love that we had. Persevere, do not give up. Hebrews 12, one says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Where do you look when you drive? You don't look to the side. You don't look behind. You don't look directly in front of you because you can miss something big up there, a big semi in the wrong lane or something. But you're looking where you're going. And we got to fix our eyes on Jesus because that's where we're going. That's our goal. That's our prize. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets a prize? Now, in, in life, spiritually speaking, there's not just one that gets a prize. He's just using that as an example. But run in such a way to get that prize. Run as if there's only one person that's going to get it. So, uh, you know, when you're running, okay, anybody that's running a race, uh, you're running and they hand you that water, you take the water and you drink it, just grab that water and go, right? Oh, I think I'll stop at 7-Eleven and get a bottle of water and I'll just take a little nap here in the shade and I'll get back up and mosey down the race. We can't do that. We got to run and stay in it. Don't let things distract us. Don't slow down. Don't fall asleep. Keep your eyes on that prize. No lollygagging. And be faithful. Stay true to the word of God. I kind of liked what the uh, this Wednesday night stuff's going to be on because we need to know the Word of God. If we know the Word of God, guess what we're going to know? 
we're going to know a lie when we see it. It's a, I used to think that there's a certain uh, belief that I really wanted to study so I could be an evangelist to this certain group of people. <laughs> oh, haughty ideas, I know. And this one person said, as long as you know the Bible, no matter what, tell, no matter what somebody tells you, you're going to know if it's true or not true. It's like, well, that's a good point. <laughs> but know the truth because it dispels darkness. Say true to the word of God. And Timothy says, study to show, in the book of Timothy says, study to show thyself approved, a workman who needs not be ashamed, who can rightly divide the word of truth. Because you can take it and twist it and it sounds great, but you got to rightly divide it. Don't put up with those who would want to lead you astray with lies. And the word tells us to put on the armor. I'm not going to go into all the armor. But Galatians says, for this reason, for the reason of needing to withstand all those horrible things in life and to stay in the price, put on that armor. It says, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the devil in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. And we always end it right here. Stand. Take that stand. And then he goes on to list the different armor and stuff. But having done everything we can possibly do, to stand or to run, different analogies, same idea, to stay in the race, do that. So the word also tells us that we can have joy in these trials. <laughs> if I'm boohooing and blubbering because something terrible happened, the last thing I want to hear is that, oh, have joy, <laughs> right? Because it's really hard to have joy. But it's not the joy that comes from circumstances because you can go through a rough time. And I've known people going through rough times who have a deep joy that only the Spirit brings, That's that, that type of joy. And we pray that those trials will end. We pray, that, we pray for healing. We pray for financial miracles. We pray for miracles and relationships. We pray, for, we pray and we say, God, please. And he's our heavenly Father. How much wouldn't we do for our kids what was best for them? And how much more will he do, right? And maybe that thing that we want, hmm, maybe it's not what he says is best for us right at that time. And that hurts. <laughs> but it's okay that we ask him. But we have to remember the example that he set for us when he was praying to his father. And he said, he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. He knew what he was facing. He knew he was facing crucifixion on the cross. It wasn't like some fast thing. He knew what it was. And he said, but nevertheless, even though I want this gone, I don't want to have to go through this. Not my will, but thine be done. And the Lord's prayer also says, his will. We need to pray his will because he means these things for good in our lives. And we can have joy because he's with us. So First Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice. Now though a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith, which is greater worth than gold, which perishes, gold perishes even by refine, the refinement through the fire, that your faith may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. What does it say about your, your life when you're going through a trial? Do you have that joy? Can you still have that joy? Doesn't mean we're not going to be sad. It doesn't always mean that we won't be scared or questioning. 
but you can still have joy because you know that God's there. James 1, 2, 4 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials. We know that God is working in the midst of the trial. That's how we have joy. We know that there's a prize waiting for us. That's how we have joy. And we know that he will never leave us or forsake us. And that's how we have joy. And we can trust God and know that he's there. And that the prize that waits for us outshines all the trials that we've gone through. Because if you know there's something good out there, it's like, okay, we can put up with it for a little while, right? It's there. It's not like kidney stones. What in the world is the good from that, right? But someone who's going through that excruciating pain of a kidney stone, it's like, they just have to go through it. There's nothing to look forward to except for the relief from when it's gone. But, but then you take someone who's, who's laboring to have a child, excruciating, never-ending, it seems, pain. But she can do it. Why? Because of the prize at the end. Because you know that at the end of that, that terrible time, there's going to be a blessed prize. And God has great promises for us. James 1.12 says, blessed. Right? You know when people sneeze and we say, God bless you? Oh. I have a hard time saying that because it feels so trite and like I don't really mean it. But when it says, blessed is the one, that truly means something. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And Isaiah 40, 31. In case you're having a hard time, in case it's rough, wait on the Lord. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary. You're going to run the race. You wait on the Lord, you're going to run in the race and you're not going to get weary. And you will walk and not faint. Wait on the Lord. Don't let things distract you when they get too hard but wait on him because he is there with you and taking you through them. I just have a video that I want to show you here and just, just listen to it and watch. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not of works, so that no one may boast. we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith for the joy that was set before him endured the cross 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And just think about, have you dropped out of the race? Do you feel like you're losing focus and you're in danger just losing your, the sight of the prize. Are things in your life just so hard right now that you just don't know how you're going to do it? Are you just bored and you're asleep and there's no joy and you don't feel that love anymore? And you feel that your faith is cold or wavering and those trials have been too many, too frequent, and just too hard. And you're thinking you can't never given your life to Jesus and you're tired of feeling aimless and alone in the race you're on if anybody wants to just slip up their hand and say I'm there I'm in danger of, of leaving the race I'm falling out of the race things are too hard for me right now I don't feel like I go on and if you just want to quickly slip your hand up We'll be praying for you. There's no shame in admitting or struggling. There's only help in people who love you and can pray. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus, and you've just heard this all your life, but you've just never really said, wow, I want to give you a chance in my heart. Take this time to find out what it's about to find out what his salvation is about. And if you'd like to slip your hand up, we'll pray for you. And we're just going to come to God. Lord, you see every aspect of our lives. You see every hard thing we've walked through or are walking through. You see those temptations and those things that we've left behind or ourselves going back to him. Lord, I pray that you will you help people to feel your presence and to know that you are faithful to see us to the end. And God, for those who just heard your word, grown up hearing your word, or maybe never heard it, and they say, 
I want to live for Jesus. Lord, I pray that right now, that in their heart, they will say, I am a sinner. And Jesus, I come to you. Forgive me of my sins, Lord, and make me new. And Lord, just help us keep our eyes on you. We ask this in your blessed name. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.